0: Bonjour, I'm Terence Galenker, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Cafe Terence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cohn Collection. Anyway, I'm delighted to welcome uh, my guest, uh, Marie-France. Pokna, Pockna, Pockna, c'est, Pocna, Pocna. Pocna, c'est oui. très très bien, uh, très très bien que nous, uh, as we say in English, in an international world of luxury, luxury fashion, and luxury merchandise. Uh, she has written biographies of the Czar of uh, Textiles in France, uh, Massa Boussac, Johnny uh, Agnelli, who I believe spent more time chasing voluptuous young women than selling Fiats. But maybe you can correct me. Uh, Nini Ricci and our uh, subject today, uh, Christian Dior, who goes uh, back to uh, Marcel Boussac, who pretty much uh, financed his, uh, the launch of, of his career. Absolutely, um, yes. Well, you know, one cannot walk through France uh, or Paris, certainly, or uh, through the metro without seeing a sign that proclaims uh, J'adore Dior.
1: So,
0: for those who don't know, there are, I'm sure there may even be people who don't know who he was. Who was Christian Dior and, and why is he still so important today?
1: Uh, first of all, he's someone that I'm really pleased to talk about and to, in fact, maybe introduce to you, since you're asking who he is. Because, you know, we let's just say we all have met interesting people in our lives, but really no one like Christian Dior is as interesting. Uh, he's interesting because, uh, first of all, his temperament, his, 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 his nature, if I would say, he was very curious, he was very sensitive, He had a very, um, he had an appetite for life, which was uh, extraordinary, a sense of beauty. I would say also amongst what really characterizes him um, I would go even further than having a sense for beauty, which that has been a bit poetic in a way, but he really had what you can call an infallible eye for beauty. He knew it. He knew it before people anybody else. He detected it Well, by, by just the signs that are... You know, fashion is something that you capture in the air. There's really no science about it. It's just a question of feeling, a question of, of education, of, uh, of practice, of, uh, and of... The personality, so he, he was in that way something absolutely unique in a way it 's proven by the fact that uh, he created a fashion event that had never existed before or that will never exist again is really different from all other designers in the sense that when he did the new look in on the twelfth of february nineteen forty seven it was a, an absolute shock—a shock in the good sense, even a revolution—and it never happened before that a fashion sort of established itself, imposed itself, became a worldwide fashion in practically no time. Uh, the reason why—the it, 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 reason why uh, it's something that interests the Americans—it's that the Americans actually did the new look. First of all, they gave it the name of the new look. Christian Dior was just wanting to make a f- return after the years of war to um, a fashion that sort of claimed femininity, represented femininity, represented also, he said, not only I wanted, before even he was rec- recognized, He expressed his intention, and he said, I want to make women not only beautiful, but I want to make them happy. The context was, as as I just briefly explained, the Second World War. And uh, although the war ended in 1945, uh, you know, the effects continued in 1947. There were shortages, there were... Bread, uh, bread lines. There were restrictions, and uh, uh, the the smell of bomb and the and the sufferings were still in the air, and the population was very down. this morale was very down. And what the Christian Dior did on February twelfth, nineteen forty seven, is that by just a collection, which lasted no more than forty five minutes suddenly the effect was immediate, but absolutely immediate, Um, the day uh, people were, people were just absolutely conquered, captured, mesmerized, possessed by the need to completely change their looks, and really it was it was stronger than just uh, fashion, it was something that You could compare to... um, Well, revolution may be the right word to define it because it completely changed people's outlook. Suddenly, they wanted to live again. They wanted to regain their rights. They wanted to say that they could be happy. They wanted to spend money. They wanted to construct the avenir. It was really, in fact, a mix of a fashion event and a political event, the two together. Uh, It recreated France at that time, and it was shared... By it corresponded to the genius of Christian Dior, and I come back to what I expressed first. He had an inner sense of beauty, which was such that he could guess. He could could guess what people wanted. Fashion is about making people want what they never dreamed they wanted. That's a quote from Saint Laurent. Sounds like
0: advertising.
1: Well, it's a quote from Saint Laurent. Yes, of course. Now it's been turned into advertising. Very genuine on his case.
0: You Um, you mentioned Saint-Noir, who was basically launched uh, by by Dior. In
1: in fact, yes, he was one of his pupils, and uh, he, he, he he put him forward, and he said, if I die, if something happens to the business, you should take him, and that's what happened.
0: But, you know, Dior was, all, I mean, uh, uh, Saint Laurent was so young, it was almost uh, in this business practically at birth, and it, it took a while for Dior to find that uh, that, that role, uh, you know, the son of the uh, fertilizer king of uh, Granville. Yes, uh, yes. We, not without using vulgar terms, it's quite a leap from that to, to silk. It's quite practice. a leap from that. Except,
1: that of course, except, except of course, you had when some, you know, it, it 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 happens that when someone has a métier that you would want to do. Uh, you may also probably have at the tip of your tongue the quote that pe- the people living in Granville, because uh, the the, Mr. the, the, the Dior family was uh, the third generation of duo family was quite well established from the point of view of industry, but their reputation was marked by the fact that the product they imported, which was guano from uh, Peru uh, and which they turned into fertilizers, smelled very badly. And they said about the Joe, uh, but when when the people who are used to living around that used to say, "Oh, the Joe, they puke so they didn't they didn 't mince their words about that, so in fact the uh, re- the reaction of Mrs. Joe, who was a very uh, elegant, uh, ambitious and uh, woman driven by the idea that she, could, she should create an environment she, cho- she, she was driven by the ambition to create an environment that was completely the opposite of that and that's why the best response to something that doesn't smell very good is to create a garden and uh, to have flowers that uh, the perfume makes, is, makes a, a very protective screen against the factory the, the, the factory, uh, uh, the factory um, uh, uh, well, I can't find the word exactly, but you see what I mean. So, so, Joe, in fact, you were quite right in your question. Although he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, because this was the full time of the rise of the bourgeoisie, what we called Belle Époque, and that you Americans call the golden era, um, you know, we had no reason to worry about anything. And uh, in fact uh the death the 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 the, the uh, hardship and uh, a tragedy fell upon the family just in one year in one year nineteen thirty one one year nineteen thirty one was the most tragic war tragic year that the family endured, completed by surprise, because first of all, when someone dies, you don't always know that they will die. Madame Dior was in good health, she just had to have a small operation in a clinic, and she never left, she never came back from the clinic because she had an infection, and uh, and she died. And uh, the few after that, you discover that there were a lot of hidden um, miseries with the family, really very serious problems. Madame Dior was not a very happy person. She was neurasthenic, and the reason was that one of their sons, the very the most good-looking one, the third one, uh, called Bernard, um, who was absolutely an angel when he, the first years of his life turned suddenly uh, very strange, a cyclotemic, a violent, uh, he was very dangerous even for his entourage and uh, he was diagnosed, he was taken care of by extremely good doctors, I mean someone of a great reputation, and nevertheless he had to be separated from his family and been put in an institution. Um, the fact that his mother died also left him really helpless, even more helpless because he was deprived of all affection. And he was put in an institution where he survived for thirty years. So that was terrible. And then there was also the other brother, Raymond. Raymond was a strong-looking guy, and he had been very courageous. But perhaps he had taken too abrupt a decision. Uh, he and en- he enlisted himself in the uh, under the French forces. I mean, the army uh, at the time at the beginning of the war of nineteen fourteen he should he could he, he, because of his age was just he was not yet 18 he should have waited another year to enlist himself but there was such a patriotic feeling at that time that he probably felt you know a little bit uh, moved by the idea of defending his his patrie and he, the, 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 it was too hard i mean he had a traumatic experience he was involved his battalion was involved in the uh, battle of somme which is recorded as being one of the harshest and the most bloody one, a uh, bloody of this um, war of 1914-1918, and he was evacuated in urgent, emergency. He was the only surviving member from his from his squad, and when he returned to uh, life, he it, it was just not him. He was not just himself. He was a very difficult person. He was uh, somber. Uh, he was. He became sarcastic. Um, he became anti-war, of course. And although uh, luck well, luck he had the luck of marrying an absolutely charming woman who also had a good diary. And who actually kept him protected from the difficulties of life until they both died. Uh, he never, never reconciled with life, and he was bitter, he was harsh. He, at a certain point, he had the uh, metier of journalist, and he was writing in a very, in a, uh, uh, when you are, when, I can't remember the name, when you are, oh, when you are against everything, anyway. Um, I can't find the word, I'm so sorry. We, can, can we amend we that? that? Can we well, stop I'm, it and wait, no, no, reinstall it? Okay, we
0: we'll okay. Fi- we'll find the word. Uh,
1: and, um, and so that was his life. Uh, and then what I'm describing, in fact, is that uh, the Dior were confronted to what is really an avalanche, because one after the other, the members of the family discovered they had great difficulty. Mr. Dior himself... In discovered that he was ruined, but in no time, uh, it was very cruel. The the, the, the the we always we all know that the consequences of the crack of 1929, the stock market crack in in the United States, was very cruel for people. So many were poor. So many were left with no money whatsoever. It was his case. Uh, he had invested uh, in real estate operations, which were quite ambitious. Uh, he had collaterals because, of course, he had his stock in the company, and the company was had been doing very well until then. But then, because of uh, the fact that the uh, buildings could not be sold, he was pushed by the banks, who had sort of supported him, who given him a loan to, uh, they called the guarantees. Uh, there was absolutely no mercy. And he really found himself in the space of three years Up until the time they had to sell all their properties, and in particular, the absolutely sublime Villa Les Rums, which Christian Dior adored him particularly, uh, where Madame Dior had made all her efforts to create absolutely a unique garden, which was the admiration of all her entourage. All of this was so piece to pieces, and all the family find them absolutely penniless, and Christian Lyon was penniless, but he was very courageous. And uh, he, was always, he was always extremely good uh, dealing with, uh, you call it adversity, or do you call it hardship in English? Adversity? Oh, adversity. Both. Adversity.
0: And, and by uh, the way, the word we were looking for, I believe, is sarcastic.
1: Sarcastic, but also uh, of his writing
0: of his of, the, of Raymond's yeah, writing. Yeah, his
1: writing was sarcastic. Yes, absolutely. And um, so to continue with Christian Dior, uh, he had a, his father had financed him an art gallery at the time. Uh, you may want me to say something which was very which is very important, which I left along the road, which is the fact that. When when Christian Dior sort of evolved as a young man, and when he kind of you know his taste was much much more asserted, he wanted to become an architect. But his parents, being a bit provincial in a way, did not realize that it could be a very good profession. That never they thought it was like being an artist, like being basically a Van Gogh, and where you took all the risk and uh, perhaps you would be recognized as later. A bohemian, Bohemian life. So they really completely forbid him to do that. He accepted to make a compromise and his father kindly invested for him in an art gallery. It was closer to something decent and and more you know, more secure. And um, in 1934, um, uh, you know, uh, France was on. The, 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 there was no. There was no. There was no art market. All the all the all the galleries had closed, and so they closed the gallery. He was associated with the fan, They closed the gallery, and he found himself with absolutely exactly no resources, and with even pictures that were in storage until they would find a buyer. And um, what he did, although he was very courageous, um, what he did is that, um, what happened in the end, rather, is that after trying all sorts of things to try and find any type of job, nothing would work, he just was one day resting on a, on a bench uh, in the street, uh, in Paris, and uh, just, uh, you know, resting for a bit. And at one point he coughed, uh, he sort of used his handkerchief, and he saw that his handkerchief was stained with blood, and so he knew it immediately, he had tuberculosis. So that's the story of the poor Dior family coming, going from riches to, to misery in, in practically three years. And fortunately, Christi- the second quality of Christian Dior, the second thing that really defines him and makes him like a unique person, is his sense of friendship, well retributed. Retub- he was so... I don't know. He had something with his friends. He had a capacity of admiring them or advising them, also making them laugh because they were a group of youngsters that were, uh, hold had the desire to become you know, artists one way or the other. They were much more lead, led by, it was a group of homosexuals. So they're, you know, homosexual, there's another definition of homosexual, you call them aesthetes. Today you have to call them aesthetes, and I don't mind that at all. So these aesthetes basically wanted to all sort of find their career. Yeah, we we're, were talking
0: about uh, Cocteau, uh, ta- Cocteau. We're talking about the yes
1: the, the master, the gods of this particular group, those who inspired them, who were their leaders, were. Jean Cocteau, Max Jacob, and and Picasso Picasso. also. I mean, these three were on the same line, creating extraordinary sort of... uh, shows events and uh, you know, dealing with art in a way which would make it sort of very wide range and uh, loved uh, using, using all previous uh, paris has been since 1917 i would say the capital of the capital of the art in the world uh, having uh, having attracted you know the russians having attracted uh, the uh, the russian ballets having attracted all the movements like cubism like uh, the Dadaist, uh, many Manipur- was really the the the, 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 the you know the, the pole of attraction for all the artists in the world, and, and so, so basically Christian Dior worked in lived in that milieu. His parents found accused him or or in fact reproached him to live the life of a dilettante. But when you look back on it, he got an extraordinary sort of exposure. To uh, the most interesting movements of art, and it educated his taste in terms of a uh, In fact, when he arrived, when when his time came. Uh, the story that I started would lead us to until 1936. But when he came to his, when his time came, he was someone extraordinarily gifted. He was very cultivated. He knew about. He was he was a melomaniac, but he was also a great pianist. He uh, he he could become a state manager, which he showed when he. When he started the collection of Dior, he had created himself. He was a self-taught person. Uh, He was a self-made man, uh, in a way. Uh, but, uh, But he had to do that without the permission of his parents, without them knowing it. And, of course, that means his life, instead of being something smooth that could have started when he was the age of 25 or 30, only could begin... When he was forty, forty-two, forty-two. He was forty-two when he was, uh, when he dis- when he put uh, the show, the famous collection called the New Look, on February 12,
0: nineteen forty-seven. Why don't we, if we can, go back and, and talk a little bit about Marcel Boussac and uh, his career and his influence, and I guess the recognizing this talent, because as you say, uh, unlike people like you know, uh, Yves Saint Laurent, his, his career as a designer was not when he was a teenager. It came much later after having been an illustrator and, uh, as you indicated, doing many other cultural things, but not specifically design. No. So, no. How? Yes, that's right. Absolutely. How, how important was uh, Boussac and who was Boussac?
1: So, so Boussac, Boussac was, uh, to simplify this and to give an image, which is a bit approximate, of course, no one is the same, but he played the same, he had the same importance in France and uh, the same influence as someone today who is Mar- who is uh, Bernard Arnault. Uh, the comparison is, is not you know it 's just a comparison in terms of what he weighed on the country because he had news yes, he had newspapers, he had uh, horses running horses, he also was extremely lucky with his horses and even uh, uh, topped uh, the English sort of racers by winning consecutively for several years. The Derby, the Epsom, and, you know, all the English prizes were taken by, then. By, they said, by, by Marcel Boussac. He had prestige also because of his newspaper, L'Aurore, which was a political newspaper. And he had also next to that another newspaper called Paris Tuf, uh, which was specialist in uh, racing or in horses and in, in, in uh, racing, racing. And um, he also had a, a large, I mean, he, he had amassed a tremendous amount of money after he became richer each time there was a war. And um, he had uh, created for himself a, what you call a chasse. A hunting a hunting lodge, if you want to call it this way, perhaps it's the best word in English. But it was, it was not hunting; it was just, uh, was just, um, uh, it was just for for for, for game, game. Uh, for for for, for, for gibier, for, for dining, for for, for for dining. What would you say, dining? Dining, for,
0: dining. For, dining on uh, venison and. Venison, chenglier, venison, chenglier, venison, boars, boars,
1: and Bors, yeah. balls, balls and, uh, and uh, yes, exactly, and pheasants also. It's, it's that time a, of year. It's, it's it's we are just right on in it yes. You know, I had, I had well, are it, you, know, you are I, you going to be
0: shooting this weekend? No, I'm not shooting, but I'm eating. I I had a, had a wonderful uh, uh, f- 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 no a uh, uh, Pedro farci pigeon oh. farci oh. avec foie gras at, oh. at a, a new restaurant called Origine on the Rue de Ponthieu. Oh, good to know.
1: It's it's close to me. It's
0: called Origine? Yeah, Origine in in, in French. And and the chef, uh, uh, Julien Bouscoz, used to be at Le Climat, where he uh, earned a Michelin star. So it's really quite nice. I it's guess. a
1: great tip. Very yeah. interesting to talk to you. Ooh, oh, I love
0: GBA. growing up in New York, we, was, we didn't have it. Every now and then, there would be a little bit of venison on a menu, but uh, no, it was but, not.
1: It's not something which is on everybody's plate, uh, you know. It all. But, but but there's a company
0: to- called uh, D'Artagnan in New Jersey that's been very instrumental in introducing uh, game to the American palate.
1: Uh huh.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. So, so back I to the hunting, hunting lodge or the dining dining lodge.
1: Dining lodge. That's exactly what it is—a dining lodge. Yes, and um, he invented uh, anybody who would count. I mean, ministers, uh, heads of other companies. He invested also some people in the artistic world. I mean, he was really someone who was a very, very well established and a high-position person and with a lot of connections. Uh, he used his political connections also to um, influence French French politics. He was against, as, as most of his business came from importing at cheap price cottons and uh, from Africa from Egypt in particular uh, he didn't want France at the turn of the 1955 uh, the economy sort of changed and uh, it was uh, you know France was not able to you, you could uh, the, the, the economy sort of regionalized I mean internationalized started its internationalization and so the tide changed for him but in any case he had made a fortune and we was surnamed nickname, le roi du coton, the king of cotton. And uh, so apart from he had these newspapers, he had this extraordinary such with this uh, hunting lodge, which allowed him to sort of play his influence. And um, at one point, uh, Dior had, a, as I've insisted on, Dior's second quality, which is an extraordinary sense of friendship, which was very well Retributed, and his friends had seen that he was starting to learn the, the trade of fashion. He was hired by two um, couture houses, Piguet and then Lucien Lelong. Lucien Lelong, I will just make a small parenthesis, was extremely important and influential because uh, during the Second World War, the uh, Germans and Goebbels in particular had the pretension to import French fashion to Berlin, move it, move it all together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the government of Vichy was kind of weak with the Germans, and it was really because of, we had a man of great stature, Lucien Lelong that uh, he himself uh, managed to be sent by, g- g- convinced the government to send him to Berlin so that he would discuss um, face-to-face with Goebbels. And uh, he pleaded the case very well, very astutely, with a, very, with a bit of a guile, too, because he told Goebbels, well, you know, you have a fantastic fashion um, fashion industry in Germany. You have uh, uh, very good artisans, very good people, very good factories. Uh, why do you want to uh, import French fashion? And in fact, if you imported French fashion, that means you would have to import 250,000 people because the, f- the f- fashion is not just a f- Side of the salons on Avenue Montaigne or on Place Vendôme, but it's also all the industry, all the art, all the artwork, all the artist craftsmanship that goes behind it. And that represents a lot of small factories, big factories and whatever. And so, in fact, he managed to convince uh, Goebbels that it was not a sound idea, and he came back and he, he freed that, that particular sector, uh, which we are so proud of. And, and so, so when Joe saw that experience, it's kind of also enlarged, is heightened, I would even say, his vision of what couture was about, that it was something that was so connected to our culture, so significant, from the point of view of trade and the protection of also of talents, that um, he really was even more, uh, you know, even more convinced, even more uh, yes, convinced to become a designer, and that become very. In fact, in the space of three years, by doing. In the of three years, interspace, in, interspace by the war, interspace by the war, um, that sort of created a one-year time of um, where he went. He went down to uh, um, uh, to meet his father and his sister, who were down in in this wonderful sort of picture village of Calion, where this Mr. Because Mr. Mr. Maurice Dior spent his entire his life, you know, retired, retired there. So Christian Dior um, was uh, given the possibility of founding his own house thanks to this extraordinary meeting he had with Mr. Boussac. You can imagine the sort of frail, timid, not assured because he had nothing to prove, uh, was facing this uh, very important and very uh, imposing a businessman who also had a habit, because of his success, uh, to sort of believe his ideas was better than others. And their confrontation, their meeting, rather, was absolutely fantastic, thanks to Christian your Sense of wisdom, extremely good way of expressing himself. And I would say it's a good background. What what the Normans represent in France or represented at a time that the the provincial characters were more marked than they are today? You know this, the, the, the 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 nature of a of a of a Norman is to be absolutely stubborn, not believe what you are saying until it is absolutely proven, and uh, you know ready to have a lengthy conversation once they are not sure that that's what that's what they want. And and Christian Dior sort actually. Uh, who took took a stand uh, very diplomatically because he was smart and he was very uh, re- re- a person who was very refined and very subtle, uh, but uh, in the end he got all the conditions he wanted. And you could say that in the negotiations, the one who really won it won, won it out was Christian Dior. Uh, he was afraid to lose his independence by being, in fact, uh, you know, owned by Marcel Boussac. Uh, and um, it was not the case. He uh, he he got an absolutely fantastic contract plus. An amount of money which, in the beginning, was six million. An investment. The investment grew to being sixty million. It's a word that never been heard before. He's but
0: a uh, French franc at the time, or U.S. Oui, dollars? Oui, des,
1: des francs. No, 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 no. Je des, parle des francs. Mm-hmm. Oui, des anciens francs, des anciens francs. Oui, et que qu'on peut pas conver- que je ne sais pas convertir d'ailleurs. I don't know how to convert. Them, but I don't know what it represents. It
0: like seven to one or something. Maybe that sixty was ten million or. I don't serious, know what it was to that. But you know, series. it's.
1: It, it was very serious money. That you'd never had a, a, a couture house that had been that had been financed with such amount of money, uh, and so uh, Christian Dior succeeded brilliantly. I mean the. Uh, i um, i I think you if you have the book i think you would enjoy reading the chapter which is called the new look because the new look the moment of the new look is so electric so magical
0: Let's let's talk about that i i i have the book and and i have read the book what what was it that precisely that happened that uh, that lit people up, and I'm speaking of people like Carmel Snow or Michel de The international fashion press—they uh, got it immediately, I presume.
1: Well, both the both the, the American journalists that we can call the godmothers of the new look had both. Had a revelation when they saw Christian Dior because it was you know the, the French couture was a bit in a lethargy mm-hmm. and um, uh, when Dior entered at Le Long, that he got he got on with him very well and Le Long sort of led him lead uh, the way I mean, create models with much more personality. Uh it, it was it it started, you know, it's it was rumors, but the rumours grew very fast, especially in a little world of fashion. And people were Christian was on everybody's mouth and that's why it's one of his friends who took uh, the initiative to introduce him to Marcel Boussac. If it had not been for the fact that there was a lot of talk about Christian Dior, he probably wouldn't have had that meeting. So at one point, the two journalists wanted to meet Christian Dior. When they met and they followed him, especially there was one, they were very two opposed personalities. Uh, uh, they were both uh, editors-in-chief. One was with Bertilla Ballard. She was editor-in-chief of Vogue. Of Vogue. And um, um, Carmel US. Snow, Vogue US, but of both, yes. Well, okay. the, the the success of the new look is entirely the responsibility and the benefit of American press, for the good reason that French press was on strike for six weeks at the time that the collections went out. And Carmel Snow, who was the most vigorous about defending your merits, and she was also. She was different. She was an Irish origin and, and a little bit more, uh, I would say, uh, enthusiastic, a passionate person because of that. And she had been followed Paris for quite some time. And she was convinced that he was a genius. Uh, and Bettina Ballard was a bit more slow in discovering that. But nonetheless, the two of them were completely... On the meet meeting meeting together, the day they saw, the day they saw, they dropped to him and they said, "It is it, 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 the one." The uh, commerce no said. It, it far outstripped, it far over. What you said, it's dépassé nos expectations. It, it far, uh, your, your your dresses went far much farther than what we expected in terms of beauty, and the atmosphere. It's it's which cannot be described because it's if you were in your room, you would have been caught yourself by the same kind of magic. Uh, some some women were actually physically so impressed by the lens the length of the skirts was the defining characteristic of the of the fashion, and uh, women would have a very sort of a, uh, slim, slim, uh, slim, slim waist and uh, a beautiful sort of waistline. And, um, and I mean, I
0: remember watching so many American movies of the fifties and in the fifties, mm-hmm. and people like uh, well, Doug, Douglas Sirk, who was German. In a recent film called *Far from Heaven* by uh, Todd Haynes, with that look, that uh, with mm. the, the skirt flares out cinched at the waist and cinched it, at the waist. Yes, that's what I was it, looking for. Yeah, it yes. represented a, a femininity, and I, I can remember just—it's so part of my childhood, in the early 50s, of seeing women dress like that that it—it it was an it was an an, an idolization. Of femininity, which rests in, in my mind, I, as years. you say,
1: idealization of femininity, and so people were not just on a fashion show; they were like in a movie, they were like in a dream. Some people thought it was it was like a poetic world coming out of this room. Also, Dior had done, as as I had I, I, as, as I had explained that he had created, he has developed his creative talent and his artistic sense, uh, you know, in the in the twenties uh, by by being in the same circle, the circle of great artists like Jean Cocteau and all these people. He had that innate in him, and uh, he was a, like a stage manager. When, when women arrived, first of all, there was a f- f- perfume was spread. The bouquet of flowers was absolutely amazingly beautiful. Uh, the atmosphere was just enchanting. I think he was, in fact, he had probably created something that would be the equivalent of a movie set, for his collection, and actually, I'm saying that because it's a word, it's something which was pronounced by uh, Hélène Rochas. She has she said, Ah, going to a fashion show of Christian Dior is like going to uh, a, a night at the opera. So it was very scenic. And do you think whenever
0: that, I'm sorry, no, no, do you think that maybe this uh, inspired? I know, for example, Lagerfeld and. Yves Saint Laurent, They went to New York, and all these shows have gotten, if not you know, perhaps, glitzier and more uh, yes. theatrical in presentation. Not just you know yes. sit, the buyer sitting and making a buy, but. Uh, Something theatrical.
1: Yes, it, from that day on, it completely changed, yes. Uh, his colleagues had a difficulty to catch up. It was the war, but in any case, that tendency was open. Christian de is a pioneer. I mean, all that we know today, for instance, another thing, uh, if I jump to another chapter in his life, which was the new look at the, the, the chapter, which I call the American Love Affair, and, it, and rightly so, if you've read it, because it's, it, was, it was like an embrace between, first of all, an embrace between two characters characters between Christian Dior and uh, Neiman Marcus. Uh-huh. They immediately got on. Oh, Stan- Stan-
0: Stanley Marcus.
1: Stanley Marcus. Yeah. What well, did mean, I say? Sorry. You
0: said Neiman, which is the store.
1: The store, no, no, Stanley Marcus. no known in, known in Texas, Marcus. you know, mm. Mr. Stanley. Mr. Stanley, absolutely, yeah. yes. And um, so when Dior went to America, um, uh, invited actually by Stanley Marcus to receive the Oscar of fashion, they both got on very well. And they both immediately had the same intuition that the new look, because of its, 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 which, which started first of all with, Uh, 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 creating a scandal, everything which is anything new provokes the the, uh, the provokes the the, uh, susceptibility, the sensibility of the public, so create a scandal, and that's good that it would create a scandal because it creates an awakening, and when it creates an awakening, it gets the press interested, and when Joe arrived in the United States, there were uh, a number of, there were different groups of suffragettes that were waiting for him when he was doing his tour of conferences in washington no no he didn 't go to Washington, so he went to Dallas, he went to New York first then to Dallas, then to Chicago and then to Los Angeles and back to New York before returning to Paris before he returning to Paris and having learned so much about America, having become so Amazed by America, by the magnitude, by the, 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 the uh, by the energy, by the sense of, of uh, by the, the you know, by the energy, by uh, the, the the immense you know the immense the immense size of everything in America, that Joe was completely transformed. Transform. He he, he, he arrived, arrived there at a little French, Frenchman with, with his, his umbrella and with his hat, and he returned as an American <laughs> businessman.
0: Really? Well, I, I, you know, I don't think one can underestimate the importance and influence of Stanley Marcus in, in retailing in, in the 20th century. Oh. Unfortunately, oh. you know, these are all uh, no longer exist in the way they did. But he uh, was, was a remarkable man. He wrote a wonderful book called Minding the Store.
1: Minding the Store. Yes, I have it. And, and it's I've just read so, it. yeah.
0: so perfect. And, and, yeah. uh I imagine you know once Stanley had essentially saluted uh, uh, Dior, uh, his career in America was off, off and running.
1: Mm-hmm. Because they both, they both took the same view that as long as uh, it created the protest sort of created press, the press sort of played the game, and it created so much attention that first of all. The, the new look became you know an event that uh, was known from uh, east to west coast in america and uh, the newspapers were just such so excited to have debates and to be able to sort of make news about all this that uh, the, the the souffle, if I can say, sort of emonté. And by by Christmas time, also America being so ingenious about uh, making a, a big, about you know mass production and uh, making the products available to the public, uh, the new look dress of Christine of course, imitated not the real one, but the one in which the yards of material to make a to make a, a skirt had been reduced. I um, mean, quite reduced. And uh, for instance, silk was replaced by rayon and that kind of thing, making all the kinds of savings necessary. You could buy it at Christmas time, and I think it was at Bergdorf. No, it was at Orbachs. I'm sorry, it was at Orbachs that you could buy it for eight dollars ninety-eight. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when the, Dior, the the dress was originally bought for six hundred, it arrived at the price of six hundred dollars. And at Christmas time, it was made available for you know uh, uh, the, the larger public at that price. And Dior was not at all uh, defaced by this. He was very realistic. He said, "We have to accept that America has its own, um, you no, know, its own vision about market and its own aesthetics, but that absolutely." Put him, gave him an idea, which is a genius. When he said, "We are not," when he observed America, when he observed the conditions of the market, when he observed the, the, the fashion machine, the power of uh, of the newspaper, of the press, and all that across the, a huge country, he said, "I cannot say I I want to create my a presentation of France. I want to create a Christian Dior in America." And that's what he did. When he came back to Paris, he had kind of his own uh, business plan all in his head, and he convinced, again, Marcel Boussac, to invest, the the, collection, the success had been such that they waited a year. But a year after, on the eighth of, uh, I think it was a year later. It was certainly a year later. I know he was on an eighth because eight is the is the uh, is the uh, uh, lucky number for Dior, magic number, number for Dior. Yes, he had two magic numbers, twelve and eight, and he was always sort of you know he was really caught with astrology, and he would not make a decision with his without his. Uh, I mean, is
0: it fair to say that he almost invented uh, ready to wear.
1: Yes. yes. So, so what, what he did, did <coughs> what he no, he did not invent ready to wear. Well. In a way, if I think, if I think back a little bit, if I think, what he, in any case what what is the scheme in his mind after seeing how America could copy, recopy. Uh, uh, you know his his models, and that they would in his way, they would no longer look like Joe, and they would completely um, deny what his what his objective was his productive his objective was to create a fashion that would be elegant. And uh, that would uh, that that would attract, you know, a, a clientele that uh, was interested in that. But he understood that America's objectives were also different, having market for a more commercial market. So he said, the only way I can actually. Ins- I, I need to. I need to be present in United States. One, second, we have to have a store which is our name and not be distributed by another, you know, another merchant in America, or not even by a department. Department sure. stories afterwards, yes, and and so we are going to open on Fifth uh, Avenue. Uh and in that what he was, he said we are we are going to make a ready to wear deluxe a luxe ready to wear, which we are going to create for the specificities of this market and also adapted to uh, the the size the dimensions of the American woman who was in fact better fed perhaps than the French ones and were a bit you know had better. Tea Better, better hair, it's a very nice way of describing
0: very, the American woman, better fed.
1: Better fed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no but, but, also but also they, they had mean, an elegance. One of the of things, the things that absolutely, absolutely uh, bemused, men more than bemused, I mean, enchanted Christian was to meet a married, he loved women. You know, he would, in spite of being a homosexual, he truly loved women. They were, and then he, was, he showed it by being so inspired to make them beautiful. But he was very, very, uh, he, he was very, uh, I would say, uh, enchanted and uh, captivated by American women, their attitudes and uh, uh, their gaiety, their, uh, their freedom of, you know, their, their difference, well, their difference, basically. They were different.
0: Let, let, me, let me stop you here, take a pause for a moment, and just remind the listeners that, if you're in Paris on November the 23rd, uh, Marie-France will continue this conversation with me at the Hotel Madison, 143 Boulevard saint germain de president at 8 o'clock. And if you need additional... 8
1: p.m. 8 p.m. Uh, yes. mm-hmm. And if
0: you would uh, email me at Terence T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E, at paris dash expat.com, it's E-X-P-A-T.com. I'd be happy to add you to the uh, invitee list. Uh, One final uh, question. This has been very interesting, very uh, illuminating, and uh, opens up uh, a whole series of other questions that we can pursue later. Uh, In in, in finality, what is uh, Christian Dior's legacy? Uh, Because you went back, this is 25 years later that you've updated this book. Yes. What is it about Christian Dior that is still so important to... uh, to the world of fashion today?
1: Well, I, I, can, I will say it in a different way. First of all, what I, what I really think is that if we can still talk about Christian Dior today, uh, most powerful luxury group, and that's what sustains it, and my thinking is the reverse. I think that what Christian Dior did was something that was, as I said before, different from all the other designers he put fashion on a stage. He sublimated fashion. He made it, he turned it into a culture. And he turned it also in an absolute, in terms of uh, manufa- manufa- creation, creativity creation, that in fact he's one of these artists. He's not a, just, is above the cut of, of the designers. He's a tick artist. done something... You know those ones which we always refer to, uh, which is from Dostoevsky, and he said, "Beauty will save the world," and I think what Christian Dior did is really reached a level of beauty creation, which is well, which is which is what holds the house together, the name, but also and you know it inspires the people who work at dior to really try and reach the limits uh in spite of the fact that uh, uh it has two levels today the the, the 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 dior brand has a level which is still the one of couture and unici- uniqueness and another one where it's 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 gone into what christian dior himself Devised, in fact, branding. I think
0: this would be a, a perfect way to end our conversation. Uh, Marie-France Potna, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. I, I look forward to uh, to more meetings, and I uh, hopefully I look forward to seeing uh, many of the listeners we'll out there who will join us again.
1: We'll see each we'll see we'll see each other on the twenty third. Thank you for, for
0: thank you for uh, this time this morning. Thank you for joining us, and please share your comments and suggestions at terrence at paris-expat.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at paris-expat.com. And visit paris-expat.com to sign up for my five weekly newsletters about the City of Light. Until next time, à bientôt à Paris.